0: Thank you for your hospitality and your love, your kindness to us. I love this church. I love the people here in San Antonio. I just wish you wasn't so far away. We welcome your prayers, May and I, as we go back home. Prayer makes a difference because God answers prayer. Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. I have... A couple of titles for the message. Get in line. Get in the line. You'll see that there were mothers with children lining up, desiring Christ to touch their children. I'm sure there's some mothers here tonight that would desire Christ to touch their children. Kenny. Also, I would my entitle is Don't Say No to Children. Mama, I want to be saved. No. You're too young. Don't say no to children. Don't say no to little people. People that you may think wrongly so are not on your same IQ level. or on your same theological level. Don't say no to them. Let's read this text. This is interesting and a beautiful picture. In verse 13, Luke, Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, beginning at verse 13, And they brought young children to him, that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. The disciples were angry. The word rebuke there is a hostile word. Shoo! Get out of here. Don't trouble the master with this. And notice who is doing this the disciples. Goodness. Of all people, you would think, that would have a little bit of understanding. You know, and the thing about it is, a day previous, Jesus had opened the door to this, no doubt, event in the fact that the disciples had been arguing among themselves who should be the greatest. Because each one of them considered, if they could have a contentious argument about who should be the greatest? And you find that in chapter 9, verse 36 and verse 37. Um, they were arguing. They, every one of them thought that they were the greatest one. and they, So there was an argument. You can't have an argument unless there's pride in people that are arguing. Only through pride comes contention. And so there was pride in all of these disciples. And they were arguing about who's the most important one. Who's the biggest one? Who's the best preacher? Who's the smartest theologian? Who's going to make the best apostle? Who's going to sit on the right hand or on the left hand in the kingdom? Such things. And of all things, Jesus, our Lord Jesus, you would think he said. To them. In fact, listen to this, what he did. This is in chapter 9, verse 36. He took a child and set him in the midst of them. Now, you'd think this. here Jesus as an object lesson. To put some humility and some understanding in his own disciples, would he go and snatch out of the leading school of the day, the most brilliant Old Testament scholar, and set him in the midst of the disciples and said, this is who I want you to pattern your life after. No. He goes and takes a child out of the arms of a mother and sets the child in the midst of the disciples. And listen to what he says here. And when he set him in the midst of them, and when he had taken him up, what does it say in his arms? when he had taken the child up into his arms. The whole weight of this child, the whole life of this child is in the arms of Jesus. He said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. Oh, in you want to... You want to know who I want to identify with? This child. And if you will accept and receive and minister to this little child in my name, he said, you're receiving me. So, the Lord in doing this, this is a day earlier... And it's a fantastic thing. It's like you open the door. Somebody saw that. It's kind of like the news at Community Baptist. It gets around real quick. This man takes children up in his arms. This miracle worker has time for children. And so we find that. Notice... They brought young children to Him that He should touch them and His disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, He was much displeased. The word much displeased doesn't catch the full context of that. It means that He was Very irritated. In fact, he was indignant. It made him mad. Now, can you imagine? Do you want to make the Lord mad? He was much displeased. And notice, he said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me. Little children, you're invited to Jesus. Little children, you are not saved because you're little children. You are saved because you come to Jesus. Suffer. Listen to what Jesus gave you, little children. He gave you an open door to come to Him. He gave you an invitation. He opens His arms and He opens His heart to you little children. Suffer the little children to come unto Me and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child. Guess what, grown-ups? You have to be saved with the disposition and characteristics of a little child. And I'll explain that in a moment. For anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall not enter therein. And notice this in verse 16. This is the heartening thing. This is the blessed picture we have. And he took them up in his arms. Here they were, mamas in line with their children. And the implication. It is implied, He took them up in His arms one by one. did not He a the Savior? Have you ever wondered, have you ever had a thought that, I wonder, I'm really a nobody, I'm a little person, I don't know much, I don't have much, I'm never going to seem to accomplish much. I wonder if there is any hope for anyone so great as God being interested in me. Here's your answer. He took them up in His arms and He put His hands upon them and blessed them. I learned from this that pride... in. in, we see that just a day earlier the disciples were arguing about who was the greatest. One of the hardest things for us to overcome is this thing of pride. It's almost a continual struggle to mortify our pride. To get out the bad Arrogant, self-exalted perspectives we have of ourselves, it requires much rebuke and humbling, even in believers. Our main battle, we think we battled in this area of fleshly temptations, you know, of different things. Your main struggle Your main battle in the Christian life will be with your pride. The apostles were guilty of it. Two days in a row. It seems like almost unthinkable that they would have been corrected the day previous, and here they come back with their pride. They're guilty of a grossly offensive sin to the Lord Jesus. In fact, what's so amazing is they're guilty of grieving the heart of their Lord, but they think that they're being exceedingly zealous for the truth. They think they're on the right side of the Lord. They think they know the mind of Christ. You know, it's a fact that even in the work of God, You've got to be careful, churches, with your pastor. You can build him up in pride. You've got to be careful, preachers. You can be prideful. And the reason why it's so dangerous is because it always goes before a fall. And it's amazing the crushing that God has to do to preachers just to get the pride out of them. The humbling, the stripping, the work of God. You know, even in the work of God, people can miss it in a huge way. This terrible, subtle, delicate danger slipping in. You don't really intend for it to slip in. But this nasty thing of pride, self-righteousness, I know more. I do more. I'm better gifted. I'm more qualified. That attitude. That holier than now. We, we, we don't come out and say that, of course. We know. We're too prideful to say that. God loves us in a special way, but not them. God blesses our group, but not theirs. Our church is special, but not theirs. So let us be careful here. We can be greatly in error. For the Lord God can care for people and works and ministries we may not care much about. For you see, our Lord Jesus is zeroing in on a class of souls that the apostles considered well Nigh, worthless. Just clogging up the works. Getting in the way. Let us be careful that in our contempt and pride and arrogance, in our disdain for poor people, small people, ignorant people, small places or small service, let us be careful that we are not testifying of our own ignorance and poverty. Now I have three points in the message. All sermons ought to have three good points. Here they are. Number one, we're going to look at this: a proper desire discovered in the mothers bringing their young children. A proper desire. We're going to second of all, we're going to think about the improper response of the professionals, of the disciples. And then thirdly, we're going at Jesus concludes, for it's an opportunity for teaching. And He lays down the conditions required in everyone for entering into the kingdom. You're not going to get into the kingdom unless the qualities that Jesus says are childlike are in you. So don't say small. Don't say no to little things. Little people. It's amazing, isn't it? This is one of the... We're having here one of the first recorded church fights going on. And it's over nursery duty. And you find Jesus taking sides. And he's on the side of the slobbering, blubbering babies. The disciples don't like it. They don't volunteer for it, but Jesus does. Nursery (laughs) duty. Observe the altogether proper desires of these mothers in verse 13. Now, who usually is saddled with the responsibility of taking your young children? I'm not saying that there definitely wasn't any daddies there, but young children. I've noticed it with my daughters-in-law. Now, my son son Jeff, he helps out a lot, but at a minimum. <laughs> who is it that saddled with the responsibility of young children? Notice, and they brought Young children to him. That, for what purpose? That he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. Now if you were, to, if you were there with this scene, no doubt, it's exactly what you would have with a bunch of mothers bringing their young children. In fact, Luke uses the word infant. Young children. What do you have? Well, let me tell you, you know you saw at first service, I love children. I love young children. But you get a lot of little kids together, and you get them even in a service. It's really not the most serene and peaceful of atmospheres. Could you expect this to be any different? Here you have a bunch of children being brought, and it's not the nicest thing in the world. There's crying, squalling. I'd say some other things going on. But wouldn't you like to have a picture? It's a true cult. Isn't it a beautiful thing? Doesn't it just put an image in your mind when you think about the Lord one by one taking up these little children in His arms? Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. What are those arms? Wouldn't you like to be taken up in the arms of Jesus? Here it is. Wouldn't you like to have the image in your mind of the King of Ages holding up in His arms your little child? Your grandchild? Wouldn't you like to hear the fervency of the Lord uttering a special blessing over the head of your child? It's a beautiful scene, and it has the most profound and deepest significance and consequence. In fact, the scripture says in verse 16, and he took them up in his arms and put his hands upon them and blessed them. You think that meant anything? You think it did anything? I'll assure you, when he touched them, life was no longer the same. You'll receive the touch of Jesus in this manner. Now, the first thing I want you to see under my heading, the proper desires of these mothers is the overall picture that you see. The deed is a perfect representation of what God in the overall picture has done for poor, needy, helpless humanity in the incarnation of His Son. Here you have the reality of this one sort of life, young children being taken up into the reality of another life, a divine life. Here you have, if you please, two realities of life. Here on one hand, nothing weaker. Think about it. Is there anything weaker, smaller, more vulnerable, more ignorant, more impotent than a very young child? Helpless, in a sense. These little folks, these little people, helpless. But you know what? These little children grow up to be big children. And guess what? In the scheme of where we stand with God, these little children represent everyone. Because when it comes to your ability to save yourself, When it comes to your ability to get out of your sins, you're weak, impotent, and helpless. Everyone is. And so here you have a good picture, if you please, of these little children who are representative of the entire race. They illustrate big folks. There is none righteous. There is none able. There is none that can come. If the Lord doesn't take us up in His arms and bless us, we're hopeless. So you have the little children, the helpless. Then you have the other reality. He who has the arms, there's none bigger. We heard my son preach on him today. The bigness of God. Isn't He big? Isn't He great? Isn't He indescribable? There's none bigger, better, greater, smaller, smarter, stronger than God. And the eternal Son of God who was with the Father from the beginning. I mean... Father and Son, they big. Holy Spirit, the divine trinity. Now, here's the thing. You have the triune God, the invisible, eternal God, and you've got weak, helpless, fallen, poor, needy humanity. How are you going to get the two together? Where, how, when, why can... Two forms of life. One that is absolutely poor, helpless, and needy. And the other that is strong, impotent, powerful, holy, eternal. How can these come together? Here you have a picture. The second person of the invisible triune God has come down to man. God the Son has put on a body. Yea, He Himself has become a real human. He has developed Himself at every stage of development just like these little children. And He's God in the flesh. God Eternal, God infinite, God invincible, God the Son has put on a body, arms, legs, if you please, that He may take up weak, fallen sons of Adam, and not just take them into His arms, but take them into His heart and His person and bless them with an eternal blessing. So this picture of Jesus taking the infants in His arms is just a good representation of the truth of the sacred Son of God becoming the accessible Son of Man for the very very purpose that He may touch and save. You lost people need a Savior that can take... In his arms and carry you, and deliver you from all of your sins, and bless you with an eternal blessing. Think about it. It is a beautiful thing. Doesn't this make you want to kiss the sun? Do you ever find yourself just wanting to kiss the sun? What a beautiful, thing. accessible. You think, look, These children were not named. We don't know what happened to the rest of their lives, but we know their lives were different. But Jesus, the eternal, important, invincible, eternal God, had time, took time for each and every single one of them. What a pity, what a loss, what a tragedy it would be, little children, if you did not come. What a loss! What a pity! What a horrible mistake and transgression for you to grow old in your sins, never committing and surrendering your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Kiss the Son. Put your weight on Him. Fall. I'm asking you to do it tonight. Fall into his arms, little children, if you can. If you will. The second thing here is this whole business, this mother child relationship. You know, I found out since I've had three children, I found out mamas feel different about children than daddies do. Don't mean daddies don't love them. But there's something about A mother's love, isn't there? You see, the whole mother-child relationship is a microcosm of the scheme of redemption. You see, the dynamics are there. We have, and let me make this perfectly clear. When I talk about these mothers bringing their young children to Jesus to be touched, I'm talking about good mothers with natural affection. I'm not talking about bad mothers with no natural affection. There are those kinds. What a pity that our land is being worn invaded with people who not even don't even have any natural affection. We're talking about good mothers here. And but we, we talk about the motherly instincts. Don't, don't mothers have instincts toward their children? Isn't there dynamics that play out in the heart and the mind of a mother toward her children? Why is that? Where did those impulses and instincts come from? Would you suppose our Creator had anything to do with it? You see, the presence of these good mothers desiring a blessing upon their young babes, it touched a nerve with the Lord. For in a human way, It mirrors the way he feels toward his children. He puts the dynamics in the heart of a mother. There are several things that parallel basically with this. Did you know mothers cannot bring a child into this world without going through a sort of death? Childbirth, they say, is the closest a woman will ever come to dying without dying. How many of you mamas agree with that? (laughs) One thing about it, there is a sort of sacrifice that takes place. Would you not agree? Life comes out of sacrifice. The sacrifice of a death, if you please, brings forth life. Children come about in this world through suffering. In fact, It's an amazing thing. I don't even know why mothers continue to want to have children. But I decided they'll suffer anything to bring a child in the world. Isn't that like the Lord? Doesn't that mirror redemption? Did you know that new birth and new spiritual life comes out of sacrifice and suffering? That he who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him through the greatest vicarious sacrifice of His life. New life is born. In fact, it's an interesting passage. I might take time to read the whole thing. 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2 basically says that our new birth springs forth and comes directly out Of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what brings it about. You talk about His death did do something. His resurrection did do something. Or His birth us to a living hope because of the sprinkling of His blood and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, this scene of these mothers... Present, wanting Jesus to touch their children, touch the nerve with Him. Because the elements of redemption. Think about this. The parallel of the great enduring love that a mother has for her newborn. You know, I hate to say this. Now, as sweet as these little babies are to their mothers, these little babies don't give a hoot about their mamas, really. I mean they don't r I mean, oh yeah, they won't they won't things. But where's the love at? It's in the mother. Now we hope hopefully the child grows up to learn to love the mother. But you see, there's a time when that child is without merit, without love, without strength, without anything. And yet the mother bestows love, generosity, kindness, sacrifice, long suffering. This is like the love of the Lord. There's an interesting verse, Isaiah 49, 15. Can a woman forget her suffering child? A child that's nursed at her breast. Can a woman forget her child? How about it, mamas? Not likely. Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Not likely. But God went on to say this. Even these may forget. But listen to what He says. Yet I will not forget you. Isn't that amazing? That the love of God for His children is even stronger than a love that a mother has for her children. Mothers are a example of a type of unconditional love. They care for their babies. I'll tell you, a mother has patience with her baby and her child many times that the daddy will not have. Long-suffering. In fact, the amazing thing about a mother's love is that there's nothing they won't do to see that their children make it. I know this many times. I'm of sort of the pessimistic nature when it comes to looking at things that I think may not go right, may be going wrong. Looking at my children and think, oh, I can visualize the worst. I'm bad about that. I'm kind of like the person that says, I always feel bad when I feel good because I know it won't be long till I feel bad again. You know, I'm putting a bad face on things Sometimes we men, we tend to do that. But a mother is optimistic many times. Just optimistic. They have an unconditional love there. They have a patience. It's an amazing thing. Patience. They want and they desire the best for their children. That's just... Lord understood that they wanted Jesus to touch their children. They wanted the best. And mothers, when you want Jesus to touch your children, you are wanting the best for them. And how much grace a mother has! I found out my my wife could show mercy and grace upon my naughty brats. That I wouldn't show. I had a good friend, Dr. Ira Campbell over Natchitoches, Louisiana. He told me one time he had a Christian school. We had one too. We were talking about the complications and problems of running a Christian school. And he said, Yeah, he said, these little kids can be sprouting horns, but their mamas think they're halos. Well, that's just the nature of a mother. Mothers overlook things. Aren't you glad the Lord overlooks things? Aren't you glad He has a heart that's willing to show extreme mercy and patience and grace? Deep well of mercy and forgiveness in the heart of the Lord. You know, a poor... Mother whose son has gotten in trouble will forgive anything in their children. I read recently of a faithful mother who was visiting her son regularly in prison. He had committed murder. And faithfully, every time there was an opportunity for visitation, she would be there. And though her own son was guilty of the most heinous crime, she f- never failed to show and visitation. Mothers will forgive anything. So will Jesus. It's amazing after all the grievous failures listed in the book of Hosea of His people, The final word that God gave His people in Hosea 14, verse 4, 4, after listing and itemizing a list of transgressions a mile long, the book concluded with this,
1: I will love
0: them freely, I will heal their backslidings, for my anger is turned away from them. I'll tell you something else, how this Seeing mirrors the scheme of redemption is the fact that the heart of a mother yearns. She has a heartfelt desire for union and fellowship and nearness to her child. A couple of weekends ago, my son Jeff and Letha went up to preach the gospel in Sedalia, Missouri. The Sunday that they closed out, it came an ice storm during that day. In fact, up in Missouri, it happened on Saturday night. Sunday afternoon it started sleeting in Batesville. It sleeted all afternoon and up until almost midnight. There were four inches of four inches of ice on the road. And I thought, they will not be insane enough to drive in this kind of weather. They'll pull off. They will not come all the way from Missouri, 400 and something miles, to get back to our house. But we were keeping the grandkids. We kept them for all weekend. But I forgot to calculate four inches of ice, treacherous conditions, in danger of being collisioned by a head on, every sort of... I forgot to calculate mother on board. For when there's a mother involved, mothers, when they're separated from their children, seek reunion. They seek to come together again. They cannot bear to be parted for long, if you please. Oh, so is it with mothers. You know, I have an aged mother who's still alive. Did you know? My mother, who's 83 years old and very feeble, she will not rest Till I'm back home. She will not really literally get any rest till I'm back home. Her sixty two year old baby. Why is it mothers worry and want their sons or daughters back home? It's that yearning, it's that instinct for fellowship and union. So it is with our Lord. He desires the most intimate fellowship with His children. And though it is that we must be away from now, we are parted. But soon when our Lord cannot stand it any longer, He will come back for us and receive us unto Himself that where He is, there we may be also. But you see, this blessing that was sought by these mothers, this appropriate blessing, it wasn't folks just for a po- do you think that this was a political stunt by Jesus seeking to get the woman's vote? I'm telling you, serious issues hung in the balance with this desired blessing. Now, I feel that Jesus was already dear to these mothers or they would not have wanted Him to touch their children. In fact, let me say this. You know, we talk about wanting our children saved. Consider consider what this meant to surrender your child into the arms of Jesus for a blessing. Consider what a mother's saying when she wants to give her child to Jesus. She's surrendering that number one place in the heart of her children. You see, if Jesus blesses your children, you as mamas can no longer be The first love, the supreme love, will go to Jesus Christ. And so these mothers were willing to say that. They are willing to say, I'm willing to have my children not love me the most, but have a supreme and faithful love and commitment to Jesus Christ. Also think about this. There is a tendency, now this is not necessarily a positive thing, there is a tendency in mothers and sometimes fathers, they want to manipulate and control every aspect of their children's lives, even after they're grown. But when you surrender your child to the authority of Jesus Christ, you no longer have any control of what He's going to do or make or lead or direct for their lives. For the rest of their days, they are under the Lordship of Christ. Their future cannot be manipulated by you. And a sword is likely to pierce through your own heart because of the sufferings you will see in their own life as the Lord, if He loves them and if He has blessed them, He's going to whip the britches off of them for whom the Lord loved if He chastened. And it's not going to be easy for mamas to watch their sons or daughters who are Christians suffering such hard things. So this was a big deal, surrendering these young children to Jesus. This touch of the Lord has consequence for these little rugrats, bringing these kids to Christ for a blessing. Yes, it was the good and essential thing to do. Why? Why was it so important? It's not because they're so sweet; it's because they're so bad. That's why we got to get them to Jesus. We're not just wanting a Kodak moment with a picture, like it's taken with Santa Claus. We know that there's something crucial about our children receiving the touch of Jesus. We know this, they are estranged from the womb, from God. They're dead in trespasses and sins. They go astray speaking lies, little liars. They need a heart change. There is none of them that doeth good, no, not one. There is none of them that will seek After God, they need the touch of Jesus. Jonathan Edwards said that when a mother is nursing her baby, she is holding a viper at her breast. And that has scriptural warrant in Psalm 58, verse 4. Think about it. What future awaits your child if they do not receive the touch and the blessing? Of Christ. I'm telling you, there's critical issues here. This is not just a little nice scene. Oh, how sweet. Life and death. Heaven and hell. Forgiveness and mercy hang in the balance with the touch of Jesus. What kind of behavior patterns are going to develop In that child, if these little ones do not get a heart change, are they going to get better and better and better? Or are they going to grow worse and worse and worse and harder and harder and harder? What's going to be the behavioral patterns if they don't get a touch from Jesus? But primarily, what will eternity hold for them if Christ never touches them? Now, you don't know whether Jesus will touch your children, but are you carrying them to Him in prayer? Are you carrying them in surrender? Are you carrying them to Him in hope? They are supreme Issues. I assure you that this touch of Jesus and this fervent blessing that was uttered by Him over the head of these young children was not just a nice picture, it was effectual. The urgency and propriety of bringing, surrendering, hoping, believing, trusting that our children may be given the eternal benediction. Now, let me quickly, I've preached long enough even on this For let me talk about briefly, look at how the disciples reacted. The Scripture says, And His disciples rebuked those that were bringing the children. And just as quickly, our Lord rebuked. The disciples. He was angry, indignant. Why did these disciples react so hard hearted toward these mothers bringing their children? They were lining up. They were lining up. I'll tell you why they did it because of their ignorance and their pride. You know, these were apostles and they knew a lot. They were in training. They knew a lot. But you know, with the accumulation of knowledge, what does knowledge do to you? Puffs up. There's a lot that they knew, but there were essentials that they didn't know. They were men. Important men. They'd already been arguing in chapter 9, verse 34. Who would be the greatest? These apostles were prideful. They had an agenda, a schedule. They're busy men. In fact, These kids are getting in the way of their seminary training. They're interrupting class. These men are too deep, too gifted to fool around with these noisy, slobbering, pooping babies. Really? Get out of here! Get! We don't have time for this. They know the Lord's mind, they think. You do not have concern for these, these uninfluential. Of all people, Jesus, these are the least influential. They're the least important. They can't give. They can't work miracles. They're uninfluential. They cannot talk theology. They cannot support the cause. They have absolutely no influence. They're hindering the program. They're clogging up the schedule. Don't call us, mamas. We'll call you. Now, here's a good point. When you are in the burden of bringing your sons or daughters in prayer, and you were design Jesus to touch them, you can expect hindrances and setbacks and disappointments and even discouraging opposition, sometimes where you least expect it. When you're seeking the touch of Christ upon your lo- young children, you're likely to find not much sympathy even among sometimes people who ought to care. You know, these young mothers, they hit a rough spot. But you know what they did? They didn't tuck tail and leave all mad at the church. You know, it's easy, especially when you're desiring a blessing and you're wanting a blessing, it's easy to give up. Everybody, listen, if you really don't want to be saved or if you really... Want to give up a burden? It's easy to find someone to point to, even in church, to give you an excuse to say, it's no use to be offended with the way somebody acts or the way something someone said. But these, think about this. These disciples were rebuking these mothers. But they didn't get mad and flustered. They stayed. They waited. The moral of the story is stay in church. You might just get a blessing. They did. The Lord came through. Even though these mo- mothers hit a hard spot. Now Jesus came to the defense in His Teaching. In fact, the whole scenario turns into a teaching event. Very few times do we see our Lord more irritated and grieved, indignant with His disciples. And let me say this, anytime we are too proud and too ashamed of ministering in the least way to the least person, when we're too busy or too big to focus on common little chores or little people who absolutely have no ability or good, we are in embarrassment. You know, the thing about when we get embarrassed about certain situations, when we get embarrassed that, oh, this is not the most proper thing that I want to be really involved with, When we're embarrassed with anyone, our Lord is embarrassed with us. He cared. In fact, our Lord Jesus, look at His condescension. Look how He comes, He who is made DNA. And all of the billions and billions of planets in the sky. He doesn't consider himself to be too big, too smart, too busy, too important to take all the time necessary to receive from each of these mother's arms those little children and hold them in his arms and bless them one By one. What a Savior. And he concludes, if you please, by laying down some absolutes. Suffer the little children to come unto me. Forbid them not. Folks, none of us better hinder or stand in the way of anyone who desires Christ and salvation. We should never think it takes great maturity, deep knowledge, profound insights, or tremendous abilities to enter the kingdom of God. No one can be too small, too little for Christ to love and save. If they want to come, no one is too much of a helpless nobody to be received into the arms of Jesus. which you can be too big, too smart, too important, too judgmental, too critical to get in yourself. Jesus tells us all, if you cannot accept and receive my kingdom as this little child, None of you go be in it. Now what did he mean? What does it mean to receive the kingdom? Let me close with this. He speaks of a little child's meekness and humility. Children have that unique capacity to surrender their will and their life to authority. That's what has to be As long as you want to hold on to your life and rule your life and be boss, you will not be saved. But if you, like a little child, are willing to humble yourself and surrender the control of your life to the Lord Jesus, you can be saved. Humility. Meekness. Teachability. That's the second thing. Unabashed unsophisticated acceptance of the word of truth, the word of adults. Have you noticed, I used to tell my children, then I started telling my grandchildren the story of the three-legged bear. My grandfather told me the story of the three-legged bear. Of course, there really wasn't no three-legged bear, but I made the story was made up to be real, and I put as much drama and reality in it as I possibly could be. My grandchildren's eyes would be big. What'd you do, Grandpa? What'd you do? They believed it. See, it's the nature of a child to believe if you tell them, especially if you're someone with authority. We call it credulous. Ready to believe. Ready to do as one is told. Children will believe anything. You got to get big before you can believe anything. You see, you, the older you get, adults, older kids become cynical. In fact, it takes adults and older kids to make children cynical and unbelieving. It was my older grandchildren that told my younger children when I'd be, "Oh, grandpa's just kidding. That's not true." They believed. We have to say, we have to tell, and sometimes it's proper that we tell our children, oh, this is really not true. Oh, that really can't happen. There's no such thing. Childlike nature is to believe in fantastic, impossible things. And it seems their imagination is so stirred, the bigger the thing, the better it is. They want to believe. Did you ever consider... That the truths that are found in the gospel that we believe and preach are as fantastic as anything you would read in Aesop's Fable. They're big things. Fantastic things. Creation. God coming in human flesh. God dying in the place of His creatures. God raising from the dead. God going back into an unseen heaven. God coming to judge the world and raise the dead. Fantastic things to believe. Children are dependent, defenseless. This is the way it must be. No strength, no power. To revenge, that's why child abuse is such a horrible crime. Little children can you imagine people beating up little children, abusing little children? They can't fight back. They're vulnerable. They have no strength, no power to fight, nor do they have any resources to repay. they're just dependent upon whatever the adult wants to do to them. You see, little children are all on the receiving end. They can get nothing but what is given. And that's true. If you would be entering in the kingdom of God, you've got to come as a little child. You've got to be on the receiving end. Because you don't have any resources to pay back. You don't have any strength. There's not anything that you can do but fall into His arm. I've been preaching for quite a while. In every sermon that I've preached, I've Not earned one brownie point that has made me righteous or put me in favor with God. I'll tell you, this poor sinner has been on the receiving end. No merit, no goodness, no ability. No strength, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling, falling helpless, dependent into the arms of the Lord. How about it? How about it, you older children that have not yet come, would you be willing To come to Jesus and surrender your life to Him tonight? How about it, you older folks who have not yet come? Would you be willing to humble yourself and recognize you're poor and needy? And unless He takes you up into His arms and pronounces a blessing of eternal life upon your head, you have no hope. There's good news here, and it is this. Christ received every one of these who came. Now, does this guarantee if we've got lost children? You see, these parents didn't know when they brought whether Jesus would touch their children. We don't know whether Jesus. But I'll tell you what we can do as parents. We can bring them in prayer with humble submission and surrender and say, Lord, have mercy. That's a good place to be. Because my Bible tells me that not one of them left disappointed. I know this. All who come. Jesus said this, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast down. Christ receives sinful children. Children, you need your sins forgiven. You won't go to heaven because you're a little child. You'll go to heaven because your sins are forgiven. Because you've come to Jesus. Come, whoever you are, whatever stage of life that you're in, come unto me. Look unto me and be saved. For I'm meek and lowly in heart. The President of the United States might not see you But Jesus will. He'll receive you. Would you receive Him? Let's pray. It's time to come. Brother Ron ably preached to us about the judgment. It's time to come. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. I'm going to ask Brother Dean Oliver to lead us in a final prayer.